You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. So this afternoon, what we want to consider over, as I said, about the next 45 minutes is these three or four sections. What does the Bible say about the future moves of Russia? We're going to give a a broad brush explanation of that uh, with not a lot of of detail or explanation, but I just want to really lay that out for us. Then we want to look at why we believe the Bible. Why would we trust the Bible to tell us what's going to happen, is going to happen? Following that, we're going to do a deeper dive into that introductory session or introductory section about what Russia will do. We're going to finalise this with what's really important. What does this mean for me, my family, and what does it mean for you? Just before we begin, um, just a little bit about uh, the Christadelphians. You may not know anything about us. We're a group of Bible students. Uh, We are not professionals. I'm not a professional researcher or student. I just love my Bible. And as a group, we try and get together and understand what God's message is in it. We believe exclusively that the Bible is God's word and everything that's in it is everything we need for a life which is fulfilled and which is pleasing to him and a future which we're going to discuss. We are not politically aligned or motivated in any way. In fact, so much so that Christadelphians don't vote in any election. What we talk about this afternoon is um, some really difficult things. Christadelphians hate war and suffering as all humans do. Uh, We're filled with pain for the suffering for those in Ukraine and all around this world at the moment. And uh, what we want to share with you is God's message about that. So hopefully that gives you some understanding of who the Christadelphians are and that we have no agenda at all apart from presenting what we know about God's word this afternoon. So why does the the Bible have information at the beginning anyway? Why why does it have information about what's happening in the world? Well, we believe that God knows what he's doing and tells it to any person who wants to know in his word. We believe that God is interested. The creator, the God of heaven and earth, is interested in and is controlling world events. That's why we can look at the Bible and see what is in it. We're going to be referring to the Bible a lot this afternoon. Uh, If you have your own Bible, you're willing to turn these up. Uh, We're using a version called the New King James Version. So if your Bible is a little different, maybe slightly different, but uh, you'll get the idea. So let's uh, look at our first quote, which is from the book of Daniel. All my quotes will be on the screen. And that's really for those who may be watching this later or on a bus or on a train, uh, that it's all there. So Daniel chapter 4. This is to prove that we believe God's interested in controlling world events. We're breaking into a context, but this is what the prophet Daniel said about the God of heaven and earth. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones. This is the purpose. In the order that, sorry, in order that the living, the living, that's all of us, may know that the most high, that's God, rules in the kingdom of men. That's the political world around us. So God is most whole, is most high. He rules in the heavens, but he is still interested in what's happening on the earth. 
He gives kingdoms to whomsoever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. So we can look at the Bible as a place to find out what Russia and the nations are going to do next. We're going to do a lot of map work this afternoon um, and hopefully uh, for those who uh, are not so familiar with geography, we, we provide enough context. Here is a map of, of Eurasia and um, Europe, Asia and Africa. Uh, hopefully you've got some context there. Um, I'm now just going to spend a few minutes looking at what the Bible says Russia's next move is. Um, hopefully you can all see that. Um, here is Russia. Prior to this week, uh, there's their capital, Moscow. As we are aware of what's happening now, they have uh, a very strong hold over Belarus and a very strong um, partner there. And uh, they are now moving into Ukraine. Actually, let's just go. We've just zoomed in a bit there, so hopefully I haven't lost you. We've just zoomed in now to uh, here's Moscow, here's Russia, and here is roughly Ukraine. So here's Kiev, and if you've seen anything in your news, you will have noticed that the Russians are surrounding Kiev. They've taken these areas here and they are really assaulting um, Ukraine on every side. They took Crimea in 2014. That is where we are today. The Bible is really clear about what is going to happen next. Ukraine will fall to Russia, but Russia will not stop there. This entire region of Europe will fall under Russian control. We do not know how long that will take, but we can be confident, and in the second part of this, this seminar, I'll explain why I'm confident that this will happen. Let me just pull back out again. So we are going to see, the Bible says, Russia controlling this part of the world, including the Baltic states. They will form a very close association with this part of Europe. They will form a close association with Libya, with Ethiopia and Sudan, with Iran, with the area of Georgia and Armenia. This will be excluding Britain. And with this very strong and um, tight military community, they will move to attack the land of Israel. This is described as World War III. Sorry, the Bible doesn't describe it as World War III. We're assuming it's World War III because we've already been through two. But this describes a war that involves all nations. The conclusion of this war, I'm just trying to change my ink colour here to make this a little more simple. The conclusion of this horrific picture of near world domination by this European Russian power is divine intervention. The God of heaven who sets up kings and removes them as he wants will send his son, Jesus Christ, to deliver the people of Israel around Jerusalem to destroy the Russian and European hosts, to bring all nations to their knees and to establish his kingdom a kingdom of peace and of equity, a kingdom where children and the poor and the needy are cared for. This is the end picture of the Bible. You may be saying that that's uh, quite shocking. 
When we get to section three of our seminar this afternoon, I'd like to prove in a deep dive how we can find this information. So that's just to give you a broad brush of what the Bible says the God of heaven and earth is going to do. Yes, it is what Russia will do next. They will move through Europe. But in the end, it will come down to the God of heaven and earth establishing his kingdom with his son, Jesus Christ, ruling a peaceful and happy world. So moving on to the second part of our lecture, why would we believe this? Why would I believe that this is going to happen? What's so special about the Bible that when it says these things will happen, why do I believe that's going to happen? Well, this is why. God has made very detailed predictions in the Bible. He's made a lot of them about what will happen in hundreds of years after they are written. The whole Bible was completed only 100 years after the birth of Jesus Christ. So we know that whatever was written in it, talking about our day, it was written a long time ago. And God has written a lot of detailed predictions. All of those predictions God has made have come true. I guess the idea of there of a checklist, if I could give you a prediction and I told you what was going to happen on Monday and I told you what was going to happen on Friday and I told you it was going to happen next Wednesday, you might say, Peter, why would I believe you? If you ticked off exactly what I said was going to happen on Monday, you might start believing me. If you ticked off exactly what I said was going to happen on Friday, you'd probably believe me more. By the time we'd got to next Wednesday and I'd ticked off everything, you'd ticked off everything, you'd say, Peter does know what he's talking about. The God of heaven and earth asks us to check him in exactly the same way. His predictions aren't over seven days. They've been over 2,000 years. I'd like to now take a deep dive into one of these prophecies that already has been fulfilled. So we can make sure, and you can be confident, that what the Bible says about Russia and Europe will happen. So let's head now to Ezekiel 37. And we're going to spend a little time here in Ezekiel 37. As I've said, I'll put these uh, on the screen. I'd encourage you to use your Bibles, um, if you have them, just to check out what we're saying. Now, Ezekiel 37 was written around about 580 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. So um, that's about 2,500 years ago. We're 2,000 years after the birth of Jesus Christ. Ezekiel was writing about 580 years before that. So this is a long time ago. And we're going to start from Ezekiel chapter 37. And together, we're just going to read a Bible prophecy. When God foretells the future, the Bible calls it a prophecy. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1, and we get this really interesting picture, which is um, oh, very, very faint on that slide. Hopefully those at home are getting it a little clearer. The hand of Yahweh was upon me, or the hand of the Lord was upon me, and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of a valley which was full of bones. So Ezekiel, who is the prophet of God, is taken out in a vision and he's in a valley of bones and caused me to pass them round about and behold, they were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. So here we have a conversation between the God of heaven and earth, the creator, and the prophet. And he's asking him, what about these bones? Do you think they're able to be resurrected? And again he said unto me, prophesy unto these bones, and say unto them, 
O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So hopefully in your, in your minds you've got a bit of a picture of this, uh, that here's Ezekiel standing sort of knee-deep in dry bones and he's talking to the dry bones. What happens next is fascinating. This is a vision and uh, the prophecy is given in, in the style of a vision. Verse 5, thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and ye shall live and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Are you picturing this in your mind? Those bones now getting covered in flesh and skin and sinews and then there's going to come breath in them and they're going to live. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. Behold, a shaking. And the bones came together, bone joining to the right bone, to his bone. And I beheld, and when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So now we've got a valley full, not of dry bones, of dead bodies. Then he said unto me, this is God, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up on their feet, an exceeding great army. So we began this, this vision or this dream with dry bones in a valley. We now end up with a mighty breathing army. In that valley, it's, it's a miracle, isn't it? It's, it's miraculous. This dream shows something miraculous happening. I don't know if you've ever had dreams where miraculous things happen and you wake up and go, whoa, oh, how did that all happen? Well, this isn't like that because God gave this dream to Ezekiel in, in the idea of a story so we remember it well. Uh, and then he says, I'll tell you what it means. Verse 11, then he said unto me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, our hope is lost, and we are cut off for our parts. Ah, so now it's not just about a vision of bones. The bones represent something. It's the house of Israel, which is dead. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God, behold, my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I've opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. And I will put my spirit or my breath in you, and ye shall live, and I will place you in your own land, that ye shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it saith the Lord. So we learn a lot about God. He is the God who can do anything. He sets up nations. He sets up kings over nations. He speaks it and performs it. So we've got this idea here, hopefully now in our minds again, we've got the valley of the dry bones. They get turned into bodies and then they stand up. And Ezekiel says, or God says to Ezekiel, now this is Israel. And Israel says, we're dead. Now, if they're dead, how can they speak? So it's obviously not talking about the Israelite people. It's talking about their nation. They say our nation's dead. It can, it's, it's all dried up. It's got no hope. But God says, I am. I'm going to open up those graves and I'm going to bring that nation, you as a nation called Israel, and I'm going to set you up in the land of Israel. So 
What have we learned out of that? Well, just before we get there, if we, we jump a bit further down the page in, in Ezekiel chapter 37, same chapter, there's, a, there's another prophecy, but it's, it's, it's another vision showing the same lesson. And here's the lesson uh, in verse 21 of the same chapter. Then say to them, thus saith the Lord God, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations where they've gone and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. Well, it's the land of Israel. We saw that. And I will make them one nation in the land, and just in case we didn't know, on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they be divided into two kingdoms again. So we've covered quite a lot of ground there. Hopefully you've picked up that it's a, it's a relatively uh, simple uh, story, but then what's the meaning of it? Well, let's see what we picked up. This is what God said in this prophecy, and we can test him. This is what God predicted. He said the whole nation of Israel would be dead and scattered. Not, not, not all the people, but the nation would be dead. There'd be no nation called Israel and the people would be scattered around the world, yeah? And it wouldn't seem possible that they would ever be a nation again. Oh, we're dry bones. We can't come back together. So the nation of Israel destroyed, seems impossible, but God would by his power bring them to life as a nation. And where they were as the nation would be in their ancient land. Now, I don't know what, <clears throat> I don't know what you know about the, uh, the history of Israel, so I'll give you a little rundown. When Ezekiel was speaking in 580 uh, BC, the nation of Israel was right at the end. It had a king. Uh, one of the kings of the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, was a king called David you might have heard of or Solomon. Uh, but uh, after many hundreds of years, the kingdom ended because they didn't listen to God. And God said, judgment will come upon you. And the kingdom ended. And Ezekiel was actually writing from um, modern-day Iraq, a place called Babylon. And the Babylonians came and destroyed the Jewish nation. There was no nation. Some Jews went back, but they always lived under either the, uh, the Babylonians or Persians, you may have heard of, or the Greeks or the Romans. So at the time of Jesus Christ, there wasn't a Jewish nation. There was Jews, but they couldn't make the rules. The rules were being made by the Romans. There has been no nation called Israel. Whenever the Jews got together, they called themselves Judea. But there's been no nation of Israel. But you know what? What God said in those four things have happened in the lifetime of people in this room, and I don't know about who's, who's watching. This here is a map, and you don't need to see all the detail, but this here is a map from 1945 um, drawn by Mr. Sundberg, and it was published in December the 6th, 1945. That is the area of the Middle East that we call Israel. And if you look carefully, there is no Israel. The yellow country there is Palestine. There was no nation of Israel to draw on a map in 1945. When I looked on Google a little earlier, there is now that same picture. There is a nation called Israel. 1945, there was no nation of Israel. In 1948, there became a nation called Israel. God's first three predictions had taken place. In fact, all four of them because it's in exactly the same place. If you remember, it said that God would bring them back on the mountains of Israel. And this here, I don't know if you can quite see it, but here 
is Jerusalem, uh, a very famous bit of Jerusalem called the Temple Mount, um, or sorry, the, the Dome of the Rock on the Temple Mount, so iconic part of Jerusalem. Here's the city of Jerusalem, and here's the mountains of Israel. That's just a photo showing that they are back on the mountains of Israel. But how do we know they're a nation? Well, we saw it on the map, and here's a picture of their parliament, the Knesset. They are making their own rules. No one's ruling over them. The four parts of God's prophecy, which lay dormant for 2,500 years, were fulfilled in 1948 and the years afterwards. So can you be certain that what God said about Russia is going to come to pass? Well, I am, because what he said about Israel has absolutely come to pass, and it was a miracle. It was an impossible thing to think that this dead nation would become a nation again. So let's move on now to number three. Now that we um, have established you can trust what the Bible says is going to happen into Russia, I gave a very, uh, a very broad brush about what's going to happen. Uh, let's now take a deep dive into how we can see that the Bible clearly says those things I showed you on the map are going to happen. And to do that, we're going to maybe need to turn a page or just look over the page to uh, a, a chapter of the Bible, a famous prophecy called Ezekiel 38. We're going to spend the, um, the next uh, 15 minutes or so here in Ezekiel chapter 38. So Ezekiel, after seeing those uh, visions uh, in chapter 37, is told about a, uh, another uh, prophecy. This one isn't a vision. He's actually just told it as it comes. He's not seeing a dream. He's just seeing it as it comes. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, that's that title for Ezekiel, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia and Ethiopia and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Goma and all his troops, the house of Tagama from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you and be a guard to them. So if you remember back, we, uh, we had a map of Europe um, and let's just pull that back so that we can see it. So here's that map of Europe that we had. And we said that Russia uh, was going to move. I'll just change my pen so we got the right colour here. We said that Russia was going to move across Ukraine. It would take uh, this area of Europe um, this area of Europe here will be um, uh, will be uh, aligned with them as these parts of the Middle East will all be aligned with them. Well, how do we get that out of the reading we just did? Let's go back to it because it's we need to do a little investigation here. 
Who's this first person we read of? So, son of man, set your face against Gog. Who's Gog? Well, I've put a crown there because Gog is a title of someone who's a, a ruler, uh, particularly almost like a dictator, someone who doesn't have to rely on anyone else to rule. So um, this whole prophecy is against a man. It's, it's, uh, the Bible was written, this part of the Bible was written in Hebrew, and Hebrew has masculine and feminine, so you can tell whether this named person is male or female. So it's a man, and as you can see there, quite simply, set your face against Gog, this man called Gog, who's of the land of Magog, who's the prince of Rosh, all right? So this whole chapter, we're going to see Gog mentioned the whole way through, is God speaking to this ruler, this dictatorial ruler. Well, let's try and identify who he is. Well, he's of the land of Magog. Just remember that. We're going to come back and define all these numbers. He's the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. So he's the ruler of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and he's from Magog. Um, I don't know about you, but I haven't read any of those words in the paper or in, on, online over the last couple of days. So these aren't familiar words that we have to identify who this person is. Um, we've said that it's Russia. You might say to me, hey, Pete, you say you're a Bible reader. How, how do you prove that? You seem to have read into that. Well, how do we identify these nations? Well, in quite a simple way. When Ezekiel wrote this, we have to think, who was Ezekiel thinking of? Ezekiel just didn't write stuff and go, I don't know what I'm writing here, but God's told me to write it. I'll just write it down. When he wrote about Gog as a person and the, he was the ruler of Magog, he knew where Magog, Magog was. He knew where uh, Meshach and Tubal were. So we have to try and identify who Ezekiel was thinking of when he wrote in 580 BC. The problem is that countries change name. So uh, let me give you an example. I've got a big picture there of New Holland. If someone in 1850 or 1750 or even 1800 uh, wrote about New Holland, the writer would know they meant that country, which we now know, know as New Holland anymore. It's Australia. But it was called New Holland for a long time. Uh, it was called Terra Australis, as you may remember, uh, and really only became Australia sort of gradually over time and then with Federation. So uh, just trying to make the point that if someone wrote, Ezekiel wrote down, we will all travel to New Holland. Sorry. If someone in 1850 wrote, we'll all travel to New Holland, the audience would know. Just like when Ezekiel writes, he's from Mago, the audience knew. So what we need to do here is go back as close as possible to Ezekiel's time, 580 BC, and find out what, where Mago was, where Rosh was, and who these people were. And that's what we're going to spend the next, uh, as I said, about 10 minutes doing. So the first of those that came up was Mago. So if you remember, he's the ruler of Mago. Well, Magog is to the north of Israel because a bit later in that chapter, Ezekiel 38, verse 15, it says, Gog, you will come from your place out of the far north. So we know that Magog is somewhere north of Israel. Oops, and I think. I've just lost my pen. Hmm, so I can't draw on this, which is going to be a problem. It said I had to charge it up, so I'll put it back in here. Hopefully it will charge as we go along. Get myself on the way. Right. So um, it's going to be north of Israel. So Israel is uh, in the middle there and the end of the Blue Sea. So it has to be north. So whatever we look at here, it's going to be a place that's come from the far north. You and many people with you, all of them riding horses. So 
Josephus, who is a very old historian uh, from about the time of Jesus, so about um, only maybe 500 years after Ezekiel, says that the Greeks called the people of Magog the Scythians. So we just need to find out who these Scythians was. Herodotus, who wrote really close to the time of Ezekiel, remember Ezekiel was 580 BC, says they were from the River Don to the River Danube. Um, and the River Don uh, runs to the, this side of the Black Sea and the River Danube runs up through Europe on the other side of the Black Sea. So we're getting some idea. This is the group of people who lived just north of the Black Sea. Today we would call that Ukraine. And uh, someone else who was uh, 40 BC, Diodorus Siculus, says they extended to the Baltic Sea. Um, so when they get to the Baltic Sea, that is up near the very top of our map there. And uh, see whether we've got enough charge to do that. Got a little bit. So here's the Danube runs up here, the Don runs up there. And Seculus says they go up to the Baltic Sea. So somewhere in here is the area of Magog. We can't be exact to the very postcode, but we know that this is the area of Magog. Let's now look at number two, Rosh. Well, once again, they're north of Israel because remember it said you're north of Israel. Uh, just before, here's Israel, so it has to be north of Israel. Um, they were called the Ross by the Greek people. So the Bible, as I said, was written in Hebrew. Ezekiel was written in Hebrew. And about 250 years before Jesus Christ, they translated it into Greek. And when they translated it into Greek, they said, oh, yep, Ezekiel was talking about Ross, the people called the Ross. Well, who are the Ross? Um, a famous uh, student, as I said, I'm not a professional, so I just have to read the students who have done it. Uh, one from 1640, not very close to Ezekiel, but uh, a great student of, of reading these things, says it's the earliest form of Russia. Ross is the area of Russia, and that's supported by a, a very um, well-known German Hebraist, someone who understands Hebrew. If, uh, if you're into Hebrew, he's very well-known. Uh, it's supported by him and many others who say that this Rosh is the Russians. So, they are from somewhere in this area of Russia. But then it sort of says it's going to provide a little more detail because he was the chief, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. So here we are. Here's Meshach now, once again, must be north of Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 27 and verse 13, it says they're very famous for gold. So sorry, for copper. The best, the, the, the closest. Um, the closest proof we have of who Ezekiel was thinking of is if we can talk to Ezekiel and see what Ezekiel was writing. So he said, these people are famous for bronze. Um, so we need to find a people who were famous for bronze at the time of uh, Ezekiel. The Greek word, when those translators translate, they translated as mosok, and uh, they became known as the Muscovs, those people, and they gave their name to modern Moscow. Now, any of this I'm really happy to share the details of. If you go to a library or go online, you will find this information. So um, I'll give you a detail at the end and you can email me if you would like more. So here we are. Meshek is the area of Moscow. And Jesenius, we saw before, and many others are happy to identify 
Meshach as Moscow. So that's our number three. It's getting a bit technical, but I said we'll do a deeper dive because you'll be saying, you may be saying, how can you say Russia is part of the Bible? This is how Russia is part of the Bible. So we're up to number four now, which is Tubal. Tubal is uh, a little more difficult. Again, it needs to be north of Israel. Uh, it's also famous for bronze. So uh, Ezekiel says that Meshach and Tubal are famous for trading copper and bronze. Jesenia says he puts Moscow as, as Meshach. He says it's to the west of there. And as we continue our investigation, it appears that it is somewhere near here. The river Tobol runs out of Kazakhstan into China, and it is the capital city of the old Siberia. Russia only controlled Siberia in 1560. So up until then, this was Russia, this became Siberia. So the prophecy saying that the people of Russia, the people who control Moscow will also control this area of Siberia is quite far advanced, isn't it? There is some debate about that. I, I'm, I'm comfortable that it's there. There is also a possibility that it may be more here. Whatever it is, it kind of fits into that space of north of Israel. So now we've got number four. Let's put all these on a map, shall we? So first of all, we've got a leader called Gog, the king, and he's from Magog. That's the area of Central Europe. He's the ruler of Magog. He's the ruler of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. So in our first map, when we drew out the big map showing Russia's uh, uh, extent, that is how we got there. There is going to be one male ruler as a dictator who will control the area of Meshek, Moscow, out to Siberia. It will be brought under the one name of Russia, not the Soviets, it will be brought under the name of Russia, and they will move and control militarily up until the Baltics and the Danube. And that's what we're seeing happen right at the moment. Now, we don't know. God doesn't tell us exactly when that will happen and how quickly it will move. But I can be confident because Israel is back in their land on their mountains that this will happen. So let's continue on now. And, and just we've read these seven verses. We need now to find those other people on our map. If you remember, we had um, uh, this group of people um, supporting them around the place. So let's, uh, let's now go in and see if we can find those using the same rigorous way uh, we found the others. So here they come. There is Persia, we'll call number five. Ethiopia is, you guessed it, number six. Libya is number seven. And all of them have shield and helmet. So it's a military group. Now, when Ezekiel sees this, God doesn't show him uh, tanks and nuclear weapons because he wouldn't know what they were. He sees a fighting force. He can write it down and we can interpret it in our days. And then we have Goma and the house of Tagama bringing up our number eight and nine. So now we're going to do the same thing and put them on a map. But don't worry, these ones here are, are a little easier. Persia, Ethiopia and Libya. Well, some of us actually know those names. Uh, as we have um, read our news. Persia became Iran only in 1935. So the area of Persia was called Persia at the time of Ezekiel, in fact, right at his time, uh, all the way through to 1935. That's Persia, quite easy to identify. Ethiopia is still Ethiopia today, but included in Ezekiel's day, a bit of the Sudan as well. So it's south of Egypt, the area south of Egypt. And Libya... 
is unchanged in North Africa. So quite easily we can put those away and say, okay, we need to be seeing God has promised and God has predicted and will make happen that these three areas will be associated with Russia when it finally pulls its power together. Goma and all the troops of Goma is the next one. Now, someone in 600 AD said that Goma produced, Goma was the father of the Galatae or the Gauls. For any of us who have read Asterix books, we know where the Gauls are. Diodorus, who we saw earlier, Siculus, about 40 BC, so quite close to the time of Ezekiel by a couple of hundred years, says that they are in France, not right down the bottom, but they are this northern part of France covering Belgium and up into the lowlands of, uh, of northern Europe. They extend over possibly into Germany as well. So basically we could call them Western Europe. Tagama, well, what do we know about Tagama? Tagama is famous for horses. Ezekiel tells us they were famous for three types of horses and they traded them all around the world. Strabo, BC 30, so not so far away from the time of Ezekiel, notes that the Armenians are famous for horses. And there's Armenia, right next to Georgia, which you may remember Russia annexed part of in 2008. Jesenius, again, who uh, I tend to rely on because he's well-respected, says that this is Armenia. So the area of Tagama is really any of this area which is famous for, um, you may have remember or have heard of the Cossacks, those, those horsemen that came out of this area and spread across Europe. So let's now lay these out. We have the Russian-influenced or Gog-influenced, Gog, who's the ruler of Magog and the ruler of Russia, and now with him, those who are um, aligned with him is uh, Tagama number nine's got on there first, but anyway, we'll go with them. So the area of Armenia, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya, and Goma there at number eight. Very clearly not United Kingdom and Britain. So hopefully uh, from that very brief overview I gave you at the beginning, you now see how we got there and how that the Bible is logical and can be proved. So that's how we get the story of what's going to happen in the Ukraine in the next short period of time and the rest of Europe. Let's jump back to Ezekiel and find out what happens next. Verse 8 we were up to. So that big group in the north and surrounding Israel, after many days, says the prophet to them, Gog, you will be visited. In the latter years you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel. That was chapter 37. So you're going to come against Israel, which has long been desolate. And they were brought out of the nations and now all of them dwell safely. That's what we saw in Ezekiel 37. You will ascend coming like a storm. So this is that northern group led by Gog. You'll ascend coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many people with you. From this and other prophecies, uh, we know that this means most nations in the world will be involved. Thus saith the Lord God, on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan and you will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people. Who's the peaceful people? Well, it's obviously Israel, isn't it? Because they dwell safely. They're at peace. They're dwelling safely. So he's coming up against Israel who dwell safely all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars or gates. 
to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that have been again inhabited because God brought the Jews back and against a people gathered from the nations who acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. So it's quite clear, isn't it? Gog, I'm going to bring you and you're going to come against Israel. You're going to have an idea in your head and all of you are going to move from the north and from surrounding Israel and you are going to go to Israel. And when you get there, it's because you're going to have a thought in your head that I am going to pillage this nation. They won't do it without opposition, and that's what it says in, in verse 13 as we continue to read our chapter. Sheba, Dedan, and the merchants and Tarshish and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take a plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty and to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take a great plunder? So in this, in this picture we have a group of nations um, saying, oh, have you come to do that? They seem in shock, and uh, that's all we hear of them in this chapter. Uh, if we followed that same process of identifying them, we would find that it's uh, the nation of Britain and some of the Arab nations who say, oh, what are you doing down here? But they're not the real player in this chapter because the real player is about to get introduced. Verse 14, therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, remember the ruler, thus saith the Lord God, here is the true player who has orchestrated this entire event. On that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many people with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. This won't be an economic takeover. It is military, which is what the world is stunned about at the moment. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me. Oh, here's a change. God has made all this happen so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you. Hallowed means set apart. All the nations are going to see me, says God, and revere and separate me from anyone else. I stand out from anyone else, O Gog, before their eyes. God's judgments on Gog are going to make God stand out. So where do we get to? Ah, now we've got all those dots, I've shrunk them, and they've all moved in and they're all, they've all come here around Israel. Gog's there proudly leading them and they're there in Israel to destroy and to take over and pillage Israel. What's the outcome of this battle? This is quite terrifying. However, in our next section, uh, in section four, our final section, we'll see why this is a very uh, wonderful outcome. Verse 17, thus saith the Lord God, are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? And certainly this isn't the only prophecy about Russia moving into Israel. There's other, many other prophecies about it. We can share them another time. And it will come to pass at the same time. So that time when Gog moves into Israel, when Gog moves against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my great wrath, I have spoken, says God. Surely in that day there will be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beast of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. If you remember, we said there was going to be divine intervention, and here it is. 
The mountains will be thrown down. The steep places shall fall. Every wall shall fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains. There is going to be what the Bible calls Armageddon, a great battle. And the sword of each person will turn against those around them. Says the Lord God, every man's sword will be against his brother. And I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. God will control the outcome. I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on the many people who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. And this is the last verse of this chapter. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then shall they know that I am the Lord. The final outcome of this great battle is that every person on the face of the earth will know who God is, that God is the great creator, and that he is going to establish a kingdom. And he's going to do that through his son, Jesus Christ. So the son of God, Jesus Christ, was born in the line of David to be a king. And God himself isn't going to turn to the earth. He's going to send his son, Jesus Christ, to establish his kingdom. You know, if you want to have another look at um, the outcome of that battle, we can have a look at another famous prophecy, Daniel chapter 2, and it says in verse 44, and in the days of these kings, and it's talking about exactly that same group of kings that we just identified, that group of land, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. So it's not going to be a kingdom that God comes to and then someone else will take it over. This is a kingdom that lasts forever. It won't be left to other people. It will break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and stand forever. So God says he will bring all nations together. He will destroy them all and establish this kingdom that will last forever because that is his purpose. So although the, uh, the, the, the terrible things that we've seen are going to happen in Europe and the suffering that we know will come with that, there is an end purpose that God has. So in our last 10 minutes, I'd just like to look at what this means for us. First of all, when will it happen? Is it even relevant to us? We've been talking about events over thousands of years, so why should we be worried? Maybe, maybe this event will last for thousands of years and, and we'll be dead and gone by the time that Russia makes its move. Well, There's two verses that we saw in Ezekiel chapter 38 in verse 8 that tells us when it's going to happen. It says, it'll happen at many days you'll be visited in the latter years. See that expression, the latter years. So God says there's a special time, and it's a special time in the Bible, called the latter years. I'm going to do that in the latter years. And he said it again in verse 16, just in case we missed it, in the latter years that I will bring you against my land. So uh, we've got something that says it's going to happen in the latter days or the latter years. We don't have time to go through all the prophecies of Scripture to explain this, but here are some of the things that it says God says must happen at the time of the latter days. Israel needs to be in their own land. Before 1948, we weren't. That wasn't possible. So the latter years had to start sometimes after, sometime after 1948. Europe needs to be united. We see that big group of Europe 
acting together. That's something we've seen over the last period of time, isn't it? Up until World War II, Europe was hopelessly divided and fighting each other. We've now seen a unification of Europe. Britain can't be part of that unified Europe. We saw them. We, remember, we drew the picture, they're the line. They're not part of Europe. That only happened in the last several years, Brexit and Britain moving out of Europe. And we would expect to see in the latter days Russia expanding ex uh, aggressively in Europe. Are we in the latter days? What else happens in the latter days? I want to talk you to take you to one more prophecy about what happens in the latter days because up until now we know that God's going to be um, shown in this horrible situation that's going to happen to the earth. But God says there is a great purpose for it. Here's another prophecy about the latter days in Micah chapter 4, verse 1 to 5. Let's read that one together. Now, it will come to pass in the latter days. See that? So here we are. We're in that same time. So the latter days when Gog is going to get come into Israel and there's going to be enormous destruction and God will reveal himself in, with great fury, well, something else is going to happen. The mountain of the Lord's house will be established in the top of the mountains and it will be exalted above the hills and people will flow to it. So all those nations who've now heard that God is the creator and he destroyed these armies that were destroying people, they're going to flow up to a house of God. We would call that a temple. Many nations shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. People will want to do what God wants. People will want to be religious. That's why God has to shake the earth up, because people need to want to be religious. They want to walk how God has given us an example in his son, Jesus Christ. For out of Zion shall the law go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That tells us that the centre of this kingdom and, and the place where people go up to learn about it is in Jerusalem. So Gog will come to Jerusalem to destroy it, but God will protect it and turn it into his house. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations from around the world. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they even learn war anymore. This kingdom of God will abolish war. Many of us felt that military conflict was kind of abolished until this week, didn't we? God will abolish it in the kingdom of his son. And how are people going to feel if you've seen images of those who are we can feel it, can't we, for those of us who have families who are thinking about what we'd be like in Ukraine right at the moment. Well, everyone, verse 4, is going to sit under a vine and under a fig tree. No one will make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. The same mouth that said Israel will be back in their land and two and a half thousand years later it happened, the same mouth has said people are just going to sit around, be comfortable, and no one will make them afraid. For all people walk <clears throat> each in the name of his God. People are just all following their own gods. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So here the prophet says, people are following their own gods. Let's walk in the name of the Lord our God. People are going to have to get taught to walk in his paths. The prophet's saying, let's get ahead of this. Let's walk 
in the name of our Lord forever. Let's sit. Let's, not, let's make a world that is so peaceful people can just sit down and enjoy it. So the question for us is, how do we walk in the name of our Lord or the Lord, our God, forever? Well, we need to turn to the New Testament to find this out. And the answer is that we need to read our Bibles. And here is a quote from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But you, the writer is writing to a man called Timothy, says, but you must continue in the things of which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. So just stick with what you learned. What was that? And from a child, from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. That's, we call it the Holy Bible today. Go out and read your Bible. Remember those things which are able to make you wise for salvation. Salvation means to be saved. If we want to be saved from the drama that's coming upon the earth, if we want to even be saved from death, we need to read our Bibles because we'll be wise to salvation and we will have faith in Jesus Christ. Because all scripture, all the Bible is given by the inspiration of God. That means God wrote it and is profitable for for doctrine, teaching, for proving things to ourselves like we proved about Israel, that God does know what prophecy is and will make it happen, for correction, for making us go the right way, and for instruction in doing what's right, righteousness. The Bible tells us everything. What's the end purpose of the Bible? That the man of God may be complete, truly equipped, for every good work. If we want to walk in the name of God, we'll be called men of God, won't we? If if we're walking in God's name, that means we're called men and women of God. We're walking in God's name. So if we want to walk in the name of God and we want to avoid the judgments that are coming on the earth, it's quite simple. We need to understand and read our Bibles that we may be walking with God. So when should we do it? Is it urgent? When our final quote is from Acts chapter 17, and, and here the Apostle Paul was preaching, telling some people about judgment, and he said this, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. God, God saw that the world wasn't believing and he overlooked it. But now commands all men everywhere to repent. Repent means to change your ways. Because he has appointed a day. We know it's the latter day. He's appointed a day on which he will judge the world. There's going to be a day on which God will judge the world. We know what that is now, don't we? All nations will come to Jerusalem and God, through Jesus Christ, he will send his his king, Jesus Christ, and he's going to judge the world. We've seen what those judgments are. and They're not pretty. He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, that's Jesus Christ. How do we know it's Jesus Christ? He has given assurance that Jesus is coming to this, to all, by raising him from the dead. So Jesus Christ who died and is now raised, God says because of that resurrection, you can be assured that there is a day that I have set and every man needs to change their ways because I am judging the world in that latter day. So what are the next steps? We need to convince yourself that the Bible is God's word. Don't take my word for it. Don't take these slides. Sit down and read the Bible because 
If it's true, there's something you need to do. Read it to understand how you can be saved. Read the Bible. Convince yourself it's God's word first and then read it to find out what salvation means. Then make a commitment to walk in God's name. And that commitment in the Bible is called baptism. And then tell other other people how they can be saved from the day of judgment which is coming on this earth. We would love to help you do that. We're all here, as I said, because we're Bible students. God has blessed us with this enormous privilege of knowing what's going to happen in the future and the assurance he's given us in prophecy to know that that's what's going to happen. We'd love to help you in whatever way we can to convince yourself that the Bible is God's word and to help you read it. Here's a a few extra things that you can follow up. Please, if there's any information that you would like, email us. You can visit our website, which will also take you off to um, our Facebook page and uh, the other social media we have. Uh, The recordings of this will be there at some stage. We meet here uh, every Sunday in South Australia. If you are able to come here in this gym in Oakton, uh, but also every afternoon uh, or most afternoons on a Sunday, we will Zoom other Bible topics as well. So thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. There is a day that God has set to judge the world. Prepare yourself for that by reading the Bible and we would love to help you to get there as soon as possible. We'll conclude now um, by quietly again thanking God for what the time he's given us and also for this, this, uh, the, the purpose he's given us. Dear God in heaven, We've seen that you rule in the kingdoms of men and we thank you for this. We thank you for the assurance that although there are difficult times coming for our world, that you are in control and that your son Jesus Christ will soon return to rule and establish a world of peace and of equity. Help us to read our Bibles, to read your word and understand those things you've given us. We pray for Jesus to soon be here and ask this prayer in his name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time.
May God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.